0: Well, I'm happy this morning, and I hope you are, and I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, going to be reading cha- out of chapters 8 and 9. You can find Corinthians pretty easily because the first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the history book of the church, church's Acts, and then Paul's 13 letters arranged from the longest to the shortest, starting with Romans, and then First and Second Corinthians. See how easy that is. See how easy that is to find 2 Corinthians. Here's, here's the deal with chapter 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. Paul is encouraging the church at Corinth to give a love gift directed toward the poor Christians at the mother church of Jerusalem. And they have yet to complete that love offering. And so what he does very um, in, in a very smart and unique kind of fashion is that he holds up the model of a less well-to-do congregation. The Macedonians, they're not nearly as wealthy and people of means as the church at Corinth, and he holds them up as a model and as an example. And he says, they've already taken this offering. They've already been generous. They've already exceeded far beyond what they can give. So surely now you can complete this gift to the poor folks who are living in the mother church in Jerusalem. Now, I want to put something on the screen because I want you to see that in all of these uh, uh, invitations to give, that Paul never one time uses the word money. It's kind of interesting. He uses the word kairos in the Greek, which means grace. It can mean kindness. It can mean a generous gift, freely given. It can be translated an offering. And you see those different verses in chapters 8 and 9. He uses that word grace a whole lot, inviting the church at Corinth to give generously. He uses a Greek word aplotetas, which means generosity, liberality, or sincerity there in chapter 8. And in chapter 9. And then he also uses a third word, eulogia, which means blessing or benefit, or it can be translated gift or contribution. But it is interesting uh, logos, logia means word, and eu means good. So eulogia is a good word, it's a blessing, it's something that you send out. Uh, to people with the idea that you want to, to do something that's meaningful and significant in their life. So I just wanted you to see, you know, the English sometimes doesn't do justice to what I think Paul is trying to do here in this text, which is he never says, give money. But he frames it biblically and theologically as something we do as an act of thanksgiving for the grace that God has given us so thanks for putting that on the screen and let's read the text out of, Gen- uh, out of Genesis out of 2 Corinthians rather chapter 8 beginning with verse 1 and now brothers now he's talking to the church at Corinth and now brothers we want you to know about the grace the charis, that God has given the Macedonian churches out of the most severe trial Their overflowing generosity and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testified that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. You see, the Corinthians haven't completed this love offering that they promised they would do. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech... In knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, over in chapter 9, this whole chapter 8 and the entire chapter 9 is all devoted towards generous giving, and we're going to pick it up in verse 6 of chapter 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Skip down to verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, let me ask you this morning, are you a sad giver or a happy giver? I read a book a good number of years ago that quoted in that book a fundraising consultant by the name of Ashley Hale, H-A-L-E. And Ashley Hale said that some money is sad money and some is happy money. Now, what's the difference between sad money and happy money? Well, he says, Ashley Hale says, that sad money is money that you give because you have to. Sad money is money that you give out of duty, out of obligation, out of a sense of altness. But happy money, he says, is money that you give because you want to give it. You're giving it as generous giving out of the fullness of gratitude in your heart. So this morning, we're going to do a little experiment here to see if we can together determine if the following areas Represent happy giving. Okay? And what you're gonna do is you're gonna raise your hand when I give the category and you're gonna let me know if you consider this happy giving. Okay? First category paying your taxes to the Internal Revenue Service or the North Carolina Department of Revenue. Raise your hand if you consider that to be happy giving. Okay, I got a few hands, but not many. Okay? Second category. Paying any kind of debt, whether it's credit card, education, your mortgage, or a car. How many of you consider that to be happy giving? Okay, a few of you. Not too many. All right, next category. You're running 75 in a 55. And Ron Mills stops you before he retired. And he gives you a ticket. A fine. How many of you consider that happy money? You're delighted to pay it. No, 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 no happy givers here. And finally, the last category is the gasoline is changing over to the summer blend. They do it every year and the prices go up. How many of you are very happy to be paying rising gasoline prices? Happy giving. Not getting too many takers this morning. This isn't universally the case, but a lot of the categories that I mentioned did not represent happy giving for some of you, for many of you. So so what does happy giving represent? Well, happy giving might be paying and spending a little bit more money than you had planned to for a loved one's gift for their birthday, for Christmas, for Mother's Day, for Father's Day, for the anniversary. Happy giving? Happy giving might include hearing about the two earthquakes that struck Japan two consecutive days. And you look on the news and you see the people who suddenly have no home. They don't have adequate food. They don't have adequate water. And your heart is touched and you make a gift towards a disaster relief fund. Happy giving might be something that happened to me a number of years ago when there was a Sunday school class in our church and at Christmas they had adopted a single mother with a couple of very small children who were still in Pampers and Leslie and I went out and joined that Sunday school class and bought a bunch of Pampers to give to that mother and it shouldn't be lost on you and it probably shouldn't be lost on me that my children were about that age at that time too. That was happy giving but Ashley Hale says as he's quoted in this book that a lot of our invitations to give whether it is of our time or our talents or our financial possessions a lot of the invitations for us to give represent for us sad giving not happy giving which is kind of sad isn't it well you know In this text this morning, we're challenged to ask the question, which one's it going to be for us? Is it going to be happy giving, or is it going to be sad giving? Now, I have some news to report to you that's kind of sad. Uh, The not-so-good news is that it seems that in our world today, there might be a little bit more sad giving, at least when it comes to finances, than there is happy giving. Because the fact is that most Christians do not practice the biblical counsel of being a happy or a generous giver. The average Christian, according to the latest statistics, gives approximately 2.3% of his or her income for the work of God's kingdom. Only about an estimated 5% of individuals follow the biblical counsel of returning back to God his tithes, which represents 10% of of our income so this morning i want us to look for a moment at some of these giving principles some of these happy money giving principles generous giving principles that paul gives the corinthians that creates those conditions to shift us and to move us from sad giving to happy giving so i want to put some things on the screen for you to follow along with me this morning the very first principle that paul gives the church at corinth is that happy giving begins with your relationship with God, which is a function of gratefulness for his grace. Paul wrote in chapter 8, and they did not do, speaking of the Macedonians, that they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us in keeping with God's will. And then, also in chapter 8, and we did not read this verse, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now folks, this may be the most important thing that I say to you all morning. The fact of the matter is, If you have not given yourself first to the Lord, if if you do not have a sense of the depth of what God gave to you through the sacrifice of his son on that cross, if there's not a sense of gratitude and thanksgiving in your heart for what God has done for you, which creates the condition for you to give yourself first to him, to put him number one in your life. If all those things are not happening in your life, there's probably a pretty good chance that you're going to let sad giving rather than happy giving dominate your life. You know, giving really is, happy giving really is a spiritual practice. It is a spiritual habit. It is a spiritual discipline. And it really is rooted out of our love relationship with Jesus. Now, I I don't think I'm going to be telling you something that probably doesn't apply to you, but but I'll just go ahead and just say that like you, like I believe about you, I love my family. I I really love my family. I love my wife. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. I love my brother and his family. I love my mom. I love Leslie's family. But the fact of the matter is, I don't give to my wife or my children or my grandchildren or any of the rest of my family I don't give to them in order to love them the fact is I love them and it's out of my love for them that my giving in putting them first and offering myself to them occurs and I think it's very important for us to understand as God's people that lots of times our giving whether it's our time our talents or our finances is a great barometer of the depth of our spiritual faith and our love for Jesus and our gratitude for what he has done for us. And that's what Paul is trying to say to the church at Corinth. You say you love Jesus, you say you're grateful for the grace that has come to you through Jesus, then demonstrate it by being faithful givers, generous givers, happy givers for the work of God's kingdom. Well, that's the first principle that Paul gives us. The second principle is that when you plant or sow happy giving, you reap blessing in your life and in others' lives, and you glorify God. Paul wrote there in chapter 9, remember this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously, and that word is that eulogia at that point, Whoever sows blessings will also reap blessings. And then in verse 11, we didn't read this verse, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I don't know if you saw this 60 Minutes story a couple Sunday nights ago. It was actually a story that had originally aired in October of 2015 and it re-aired a couple Sunday nights ago with, with a few updates since the October story originally aired but it was a story on Make-A-Wish Foundation you, you've, you've heard of Make-A-Wish Foundation and they provide uh, lasting wishes for kids many of them who have terminal illnesses that's how the organization originally began and now they kind of open it up to, uh, to children in a variety of circumstances, trying to give them this wish, you know, that will, will bring some sense of meaning and purpose to their life. And, and it just surveyed, the story surveyed the state of Arkansas and what they are doing in that state with Make-A-Wish Foundation. There was a little town in Arkansas that they highlighted. It was Harrisburg, Arkansas. Now you think about a little town, Harrisburg, Arkansas, that has a grand population of 2,000 people. 80% of the 2,000 people, or rather 40% or 800 people of the 2,000 population of Harrisburg, Arkansas, live at or below the poverty level. That little town of 2,000 people raised $25,000 from Make-A-Wish Foundation. And the, and the 60 Minutes correspondent was interviewing people about why they gave and the joy that it was giving to their life and how they were helping other people. Another segment of that 60 Minutes program uh, highlighted a, a, a young lady, a school teacher, elementary school teacher, by the name of Kendra Street. M- my guess is she's somewhere in her mid to late 30s. And about 20 years ago, when she was a high school student, she had cancer. Thankfully, it's now in remission. But she was a recipient of a make of wish Foundation grant. And now she's bringing that into her school to make that possible for kids in her community. And this is what she said in the story. She said of her students at the elementary school where she speak, where she teaches, she said they, those students, now understand the power of a wish. Once they saw the first wish granted here, our kids wanted to, get, wanted to help give that to someone else. We're a tiny, tiny school that last year raised $15,000. That's incredible, she says, it plays a huge part Of who our kids grow up to be one of the things that we forget about happy giving generous giving is that yes it makes a difference it makes an impact it changes people's lives it's a blessing to them generous giving gives thanksgiving and glory to God because his work is being accomplished in the world but generous giving loops back And it returns to bless us and to give us meaning and purpose in our lives. If I have heard this statement made once, I've heard it made multiple times. Many of you have said this to me, and I've heard it from people in other churches. Someone goes off on a mission trip. And they return, they come back, and I see them and I say, Hey, tell me about your mission trip. One of the first things they say to me is, you know, I went on that trip thinking of how much I was going to give to others. And when I came back, I realized how much they had given to me. Generous giving is a blessing to other people, it gives thanksgiving to God. But, folks, it's a blessing, it's a joy, it gives meaning and happiness and purpose to us when we share that generosity with others. Okay, last generous giving principle. That uh, Paul gives the church at Corinth, he tells them that happy giving is a choice and that God cares more about the attitude of that choice than he does the amount. Paul writes in verse 2 of chapter 8 out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty of the Macedonians welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. It wasn't the amount for Paul that they gave. It was the fact that they were being generous. It was the attitude, the heart. Next, uh, next scripture. Paul writes in verse 12, we didn't read this. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has. Not according to what one does not have. And finally, over in chapter 9, we read this, Paul said, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Did, Did you notice that first sentence? Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Now, you would read that sentence and you might say, Well, you know, I guess I just get this feeling of what I should give well the Hebrew understanding of the heart is, is that the heart is not the center of the emotions the heart is the command center the heart is the center of choice the heart is the center of intentionality where decisions are made and what Paul is really writing there each man should give what he has decided and determined as a choice to give because generous giving is a choice you know like many of you in this room my mom and dad modeled for me generous giving and tithing, growing up in that little Creedmoor Road Baptist Church in Raleigh. And when I got into middle school and high school, like many of you, I started to take on some some odd jobs of employment. My first job was raking leaves and mowing yards. I'd mow a yard that'd take about three hours and get paid $3, and that was big money back then. And when I got to be 16 years of age, I got a job at Winn-Dixie Grocery Store. Lord have mercy. Sweeping floors and mopping floors and stocking shelves and bagging groceries. And that was back in the day where you bagged the groceries and put them in the cart and you walked it out to the parking lot. And that particular grocery store had a parking lot that went up. And I always got the customer who parked at the very top end of the parking lot, pushing those, you know, that that cart up to the top. And and then I drove a Wake County school bus for two years, two years and a couple of months. That was back in the day when 16 year olds could drive a school bus. And and it really is a good decision to let 18 year olds and above. Uh, Even though I drove one at 16, I think that's a wise choice. To make. And I remember as a school bus driver, I made $1.90 an hour. That was minimum wage. And I drove about 15 hours a week, about 60 hours a month. You can do the math, close to $115, $120 a month. And after taxes, you know, you cleared around $100. And as a 16 year old, I can remember, you know, getting that gross check of $120 or somewhere in that neck of the woods and putting $12. In my offering plate at my church because my mom and dad had taught me that they had modeled that for me and I'm very much aware and many of you are too that Oakmont began as a church with 11 family units approximately 42 charter members and all 11 families made the commitment to tithe and we're the inheritors today of that generous giving commitment, all the ministries and the beautiful facilities and the staff and all the things we do in this community and around the world is a result of that good foundation those charter members laid. But you know, I'm very much aware that not everyone had parents like I had who modeled generous giving for me. I'm aware that people are at different places and times in their spiritual life and in their spiritual growth and maturity. So you may find yourself at that spot, at that place where generous giving has not been a part of your lifestyle. And I want you to know this morning that I understand that sometimes God works with us over a period of time. And so I want to repeat the question that Catherine Carroll asked you a little earlier this morning, and it's one we've been asking each other every Sunday in the month of April. What percentage of my income is God? leading me to give for the work of his kingdom. Because you see, all of us are at different places. And what would it mean if if you're at that 1% spot? What would it mean for you, this is between you and God, to make this growth in generous, happy giving and to say, hey, you know, I'm going from 1% to 2% this year, right now. Or, you know, I'm at 4%. I'm going to make that commitment to go to 5%. I'm at 7%. I'm going to make that commitment to go to 8%. What would that commitment look like for you right now? I like that story of a wealthy member of a congregation. He had heard about that special project his congregation was doing. And he had made it known that he wanted to make... A contribution towards the effort so a lay person involved in that special project of the co- of the congregation made a visit upon the man's invitation to come to his home and the lay person in the church just kind of laid out to that wealthy individual what that project was about and the man uh, you know, heard the story of what was happening, was very excited about it, and right on the spot, he wrote a check, handed it to the man, didn't fold it up, didn't put it in an envelope, just handed in the check, and out the door, the lay representative of the church went, heading back to his church, and obviously the man handed in the check, and he couldn't help but see what was on it, and it was a gift of $500. Driving all the way back to church, That man was just wrestling in his mind, here is a man of great means, and he was excited about this project, and he said he wanted to be generous, and he's written me a check of $500. I know that he can do so much more than that. He got back to the church, and his pastor was there, and he told the pastor what had happened. The man had just given him the check, hadn't folded it up, hadn't put it in an envelope, just presented it to him. It was $500, and he was grateful for the gift. But he knew this man was a man of means and wealth, and that he could do far more than $500. And the pastor said to his lay friend, you know, that man gave all that he could give. You don't need to go back and talk to him about it. And the, the gentleman says, what do you mean he gave all that he could give? He's a man of means and wealth in our community. He can do better than $500. And the pastor said, no, let me clarify. The man gave all that his spirit would let him. And that's the question for you and for me this morning. How much will your spirit Let you give. And when you make the gift, is it going to be sad giving or is it going to be happy giving? Let's pray together.